Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. Hello everybody, we're kind of starting on a somber note because there's just so much going on right now in media, especially around the shootings in Texas having to talk with our kids about it, you know, sitting down at the kitchen table last night thinking about it. And so we thought, like many people, address some of those things. Um, and there's also a couple other articles that we want to talk about, the news and stuff that's going on. So, Annie, you you had really uh, were the one who said we, we need to talk about it. So what are some of the things that are on your mind right now when it comes to the mass shooting in Texas and maybe what can be done? Yeah, so um, I kind of saw a meme or a quote circulating um, social media yesterday, and it was like, it says, there is something deeply hypocritical about praying for a problem you are unwilling to solve. Mm-hmm. And I know this is making some generalizations in this, but I, I it made me start thinking about um, just people who are, are willing to pray about, you know, it's... Um, you know, healing the victims and praying that there aren't any more mass shootings. But then the fact that it seems like nothing is being done to at least mitigate. I mean, I know that we will never fully eradicate this problem, Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like something needs to be done. And I feel like we are, and I've mentioned this, I think to both of you over the last few days, we're stuck in this cycle of mass shooting, thoughts and prayers, public outcry, uh, grief, pain, rebuilding, um, protesting that Congress do something, Congress does nothing, and then we bide our time and everybody mm-hmm. calms down and then the whole thing repeats itself over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like, you know, isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing, or in this case, nothing, at least that I can see, um, and then expecting a different result? Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I just feel like something needs to be done. And I don't know what that is. I don't have the answers. Um, you know, I, gun reform, gun control. I, I don't know. Something. Do something. Yeah. Do you have? You said you didn't don't really have the answers. But I guess what what would be the reform that you think would be most beneficial, or that would help stop things like this from happening again? I feel I I think it's too easy to get a gun. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I think it varies by state. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly, I'm not anti-gun. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm, I fall like somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, I don't think we should have our rights taken away, yeah. you know, I, you know, but I, boy, something has to be done. Yeah. I don't think every, cause some States that you have to get a background, you have to get some kind of checks. Some. And some States don't have any, I don't think. Right. But then I, you know, and then there's, there's all this lobbying that I think goes on too, where like, you know, the NRA you know, are they are they lining the pockets of certain political parties, you know, that and, and then the political parties feel like they have to, you know, back the interests of these of the NRA and other, you know, it, it's just a mess. I just can't believe this is even happening. Yeah, I guess the, the one article I was looking for that that really helped me kind of think about what could be done or maybe you know, from a from maybe a policy perspective was comparing it to the things we've done when it comes to driving, driving laws. And there was a higher amount of driving deaths 
about 50 years ago. And then we started implementing like seatbelts. And then after seatbelts and you had, chi- okay, we saw a problem here. So we need to have child seats. And then we have, you know, and the list goes on and on. And now there's, you know, implementing, all right, you can't text while driving. And if you're on, a, not on a hands-free phone, but you're on a phone, uh, we've seen this as a problem. So that makes sense to me that, okay, we, 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 we saw the rise in deaths. We, we, we could pinpoint exactly what it was that was the problem. Uh, and then we were able to legislate some things that actually seemed to help. I just don't know enough about, uh, yeah, what, what would be the exact, what is the, what is the point that, you know, are the mass shootings coming from people who are buying guns at gun shows? Are the mass shootings coming from people who are, they don't have a long enough background check. I mean, this this guy was uh, 18 years old. He turned 18. He was able to get access really quickly and then right away did destruction. Uh, what would be the the actual, yeah, thing that could curb this a little bit? Um, you're, yeah, because I think that, that's so scary, I think, is that you have access to a, to a thing that can cause mass death, right? Uh, you're not going to stop people from doing things that could hurt people, but is there a way that we can mitigate this? So that's the question. I don't know what it is. And I, I guess the, the issue I have is people are yelling about it, but I don't know what they're yelling. We need reform. We need reform. reform. Well, what exactly? For me, I saw the, I could see the lines with, with the driving. That was the problem. People are flying to their cars and they got hurt. Put a seatbelt on. Make that a law that stopped it right away. Well, that reduced it. So what is that? They continue to update, you know, safety in cars and things like that. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. always, I think, with every new model is always, there's always updates and whatnot. And I think, you know, with this, we're dealing with kind of two issues here. Maybe, you know, we're dealing with a mental health crisis, which is Mm -hmm. overwhelming in my opinion. I don't know what can be done about that. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) That will never be eradicated. And then we're dealing with, you know, the guns and the the combination of the two seems to kind of be the biggest problem. And I guess so what can you get a hold of? Yeah, I, th- that that was another article I thought was really really well done that helped me. Um, it's his name is Jim Dennison. I think he comes out with a daily uh, a daily article, and he's quoting here um, an article called in the conversation entitled what we know about mass school shootings in the U S and the gunmen who carry them out. And here's a couple things that he says, or that the research has pointed to. It says every shooting was carried out by men or boys. So none of these are females. So that's something. Um, only two were carried out by, by two gunmen. Uh, you think, I think that was the Columbine was more than one. Mm -hmm. Uh, but usually the perpetrator is a lone gunman. Um, 12 of the 14 school shooters in the database um, going after current or former schools. Now, that was different with this Texas shooting. That was not, they had, this guy had no connection to that school. Um, based on dozens of interviews with incarcerated perpetrators of mass shootings, um, they were, they intended this to be their final act. So they were going to do this and then either commit suicide or, or you know, put themselves in a situation. They, this was their last hurrah. Um, and they premeditate by leaving messages, posts, or videos, uh, usually. And then, uh, another thing they said is, uh, the criminologist says 
some perpetrators are seeking fame and notoriety. However, most school shooters are motivated by generalized anger. Their path to violence involves self-hate and despair, turn inward at the world, and our research finds that they often communicate their intent to do harm in advance as a final desperate cry for help. And so that just reminds me right away of the, the, the really the third story in the Bible of Cain and Abel, where Cain feels miffed that uh, Abel got the blessing and he didn't. He got favor. He was liked. He wasn't. And God comes to him and says, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? Why are you angry and sad? Why are you angry and sad? And he says, um, if you did what is right, wouldn't you have favor? But sin is crouching at your door. You must overcome it. But instead of overcoming it, uh, it says in Genesis 4, he took out his anger on his brother. And I think that's the part that really, this difference between a hero and a villain, the villain has a a sad story, which is really sad. All these things that happened to this guy were really sad. You know, he was being raised by his grandmother. He had no friends. He had a speech impediment that people made fun of him for, all these things. But he used that sadness and anger instead of, um, you know, he, he, instead of dealing with it, you know, some people go through those exact same things and they overcome it, right? They, they are people who overcome these challenges, whatever they are, but the villain kind of character is somebody who internalizes it and wants everybody else to feel the pain that they feel and they pour it out on everybody else. So what we need is, I think, and what this article is pointing to, the key to, it, it says what they mourn is the key to stopping these tragedies is for a society to be alert to these warning signs and act on them immediately. So if you hear somebody saying these things, if they're being despondent, to, to have your eyes open to that and, and to walk up to them, to figure out what's going on, to be not that you're necessarily going to be able to change people if they have a totally hardened heart to the situation, but to be able to, you know, if you see something, say something. And that was kind of what people said, that that kind of became a phrase. So I think that's at the heart of a lot of the problem. Right, and I think it's also hard to reason with somebody who is so apathetic. You know, it's like, if they're willing to die over this, how do you, I mean, they clearly don't care. And how, how do you threaten a punishment or threaten you know, anything, it's, you know, because they just don't care. So it doesn't matter. Right. But just like you were saying that maybe a gun law could mitigate people. But if, if you could confront, I mean, we've had, I've had cases in ministry over the last 12 years where I knew there was a domestic situation. I knew that this person was getting isolated. I knew that they were starting to gather guns and things like that. And so how do you, inform as many people as possible to be to keep a careful eye on this situation uh to tell the you know i've called not here but in previous places i've called local authorities and said this is what's going on this is what i'm concerned about uh they've had extra squad cars so as much as you can i think that's really really important um you're you're yeah when a person has reached that level of hardness of heart uh it's hard to you're not going to be the one that's going to change them probably um what do you think, Matt? I have no clue where to start with this. Um, like I, I have never met someone who I felt like has been that far on off the deep end, and I don't know. It's really sad. I mean that. 
I, I got a text uh, from my wife that, you know, she told our youngest daughter, we were kind of waiting to how much we tell her. And, you know, they both cried, you know, and, and uh, it's just, it's really, really sad. It's really sad. So we have no answers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no one, no one has clear answers, but I, I do. Yeah. I, you, you get to the point and I'm glad you're fired up, Annie, you know, where it's like, do something, do something, you know, can we, can we all from all the different, uh, aspects? Um, I just want them to be actual things that are going to help whatever they are, you know, uh, can you show me what the exact problem is? Let's zero in on what the exact problem is and they'll zero on something that's actually going to help. But I do find it fascinating that this is really, I mean, you, if you break down the story of Cain and Abel, this is exactly what happened there with Adam and Eve's first children. And it's such an undetailed story, I think, purposely, because this is a human heart. I think every, every human being, you face injustice or you face really hard times, and in that moment, you have the decision, am I going to overcome this or am I going to internalize my pain and now transfer it to everybody else. You know, I've, I've heard this saying, I, I forget exactly who originated with it, but, um, you know, pain that is not transformed is transferred. Mm. That if you don't find a way to overcome this pain, you're going to transfer it onto the next generation, or you're going to do something horrible to somebody else because you can't, you don't know what to do with it. It's got to go somewhere. So you have to find a way to either transform it or it's going to be transferred to other people. And unfortunately, he just poured out all of his pain on innocent children. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. Okay. Oh, well. well, I think uh, I think everybody, you, you've seen more and more people who have been slow to respond, slow to, you know, and I, I know it, it can sound hollow when people say thoughts and prayers, but I think that's also the acknowledgement we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do in this moment. I do believe that we still have hope. Um, I, I don't think uh, we should take this as a way that there is no hope in this world anymore. There's no hope in humanity anymore. Um, we God is still on high. I don't know why he allowed this to happen. Um, and he's still at work, and he's still going to return. And to keep grounded in those facts, uh, because I I think this could multiply hopelessness if you just focus on the how, how tragic it really is. I agree. And I think, you know, the, the use of thoughts and prayers, you know, has become, I mean, it's, it's mocked by, right. you know, and obviously I, I believe in prayer and I believe yeah. in the power of prayer and I believe that God is in control. Um, but I also think that, you know, we need to use mm-hmm. our gifts and the tools that God's given us to, right. to try to mitigate these things. Yep. So whether that's the government, yeah. Um, you know, our, our right to vote, right. our, our gifts of, you know, relating to people and kind of keeping an eye out for some of these mm-hmm. potential problems. Um, again, laws about gun control. I mean, these are things and tools that, that we've been given by God yep. that we can also use beyond just praying. Right. And I think that that makes a bigger statement to the, un, like the non-Christian population, um, that it's more than just this kind of nebulous praying or meditating or whatever. It's like, you know, we can act and we can be Christians and we can pray and we can use Mm -hmm. the things that God's given us to try to 
mitigate this problem. So yeah. I don't know. I don't have any answers. I have no idea what's going on. I, I, I think, and that's why the Bible does talk about government. Um, that, that's, that's Romans 13. It says, you know, the, the government has been u- is used by God to have the sword. Um, you know, that's why we, we talked about on the last episode on capital punishment, you know, where when people's hearts are hardened and they're not open to the gospel, all you have left is the government to deter or to stop or to bring down wrath and punishment because there's uh, there's nothing you can do. There's hearted as the Pharaoh in Egypt when 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 Moses was confronting, um, yeah, who was holding on to all these slaves. I I think that's all you have, and so yeah, the government is a gift of God to deter, and we should not. You know, there's not really any hope for a guy like this to change his heart in that moment. You have to find a way for law enforcement, laws, government, all these different things to step in. To protect um, life. Protect, exactly, to protect life. You know, exactly. and that's another argument that I'm hearing. You know, it's like, well, because, see, what the problem is I think we're putting people into into boxes, right? So uh, if you are a thoughts and prayers person, you yeah. are also a gun supporter, you are also a pro-lifer yeah. okay so you're you're kind of put into this this box mm-hmm. and so people want to say well you're willing to pray but you're not willing to reform gun control and you're willing to pray and you're you're uh you're so pro-life but then you're not worried about controlling the guns that take life right you know so yeah. it's kind of like this this box that i've you know that people you know conservative christian right, right wing you know this is like kind of a box that uh, a category that people are putting Christians into, you know, the pro-lifers and yeah. whatnot. So the thing too, like, I don't know if I know anybody in a box, like that's the problem is that we don't actually talk to anybody because I don't know anybody who's in that box. And I talked to a lot of Christians who I don't know if they fit that complete stereotype. Like if you'd actually ask them on all those things, well, why do you think that? Why do you think... And I and I think the same. Um, that's why it's hard to listen to so much that's in the media. The same as the people on the left. Also, how many people are actually clearly check all the boxes on that side Correct. as well? Um, and so that's I think why we're not getting anywhere. Correct. Because no one's willing to actually talk to each other. Correct. Um, yeah. And and then we spend so much time confirming our biases and yelling at. The reason this happened is because that other side right. didn't didn't do something. Um, and and I I think the reality is is this kid had some hard things that happened, and he took the path of Cain, where he wanted to pour out all of his pain on his grandma and on these kids. And. Uh, that that's the reality of what happened. Um, and then what, what can we do about that? Well, there's a, yeah, let's, let's do everything we can in the government, uh, in society, in mental health, spiritually, physically, emotionally, uh, as a community to watch out for this kind of behavior. Um, but that's what happened, right? Right. Yeah. Well, as now deep, that that's out of the way. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> To keep this in kind of heavy topics, uh, <laughs> I you know I this I, is a rough one today. Yeah, huh? <laughs> well, I think the reality is to be able to look at this with with hope still. I, 
I was thankful this morning, my daily Bible reading, I, I read Romans 8. It just happened to be what I was reading. And in Romans 8, it talked about the whole world groaning uh, to the point of, ch- like, like in the pains of childbirth, uh, waiting for the glory of God to be revealed. And so since this world fell, uh, it's been groaning. It's 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 been groaning, and uh, we're waiting. But it's been groaning with uh, pains of childbirth. That's not a pointless pain. When a woman goes into labor, she's got a purposeful pain. And so I know all this pain feels meaningless and hopeless, but God's word says that it's moving towards um, a purpose in the end uh, that's really hard for us to define in the moment. So I think that that chapter, if somebody's looking for, I, what do I read right now to regain hope? I think Romans 8 is a great place to go um, to regain a sense of hope. And then also Psalm 73, that's, you know, it's a, asking the question, what do I do when the wicked seem to be winning, when the wicked seem to be in control? And Psalm 73 says that that God is still with us, that God praises them on slippery ground. I do believe there's a judgment. I believe that this guy who took his life, he didn't get away with it. I, I think he's facing God's judgment right now for what he did, and, and I find a lot of hope in that, actually. Um, but to go on to the, to the next topic, uh, I think people are, are really grieving, um, and maybe some people are, are celebrating. I don't know. Uh, but it's just been revealed that the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest denomination, Protestant denomination in the United States, I think they have 17 million members, 16, 17 million members, something like that. Uh, so our little denomination, the Wells, has got like 300,000. So we're just a drop in the bucket. We don't even register on most things. But they, So very influential church body. Um, there was an investigation that just was done that revealed there was over 700 account uh, cases of, of sexual abuse, and um, and it's in a 300-page document. But I think it's called uh, Guidepost was the the the, the investigation uh, the the company that investigated them. And what's really sad is there's been all this denial. Um, and so Pastor Bill and I, we've been talking about this a lot and just wanted to talk to our staff more about this, where in all these cases, whether it was the Catholic Church scandals or now this scandal, what really doubles down on the problem is the cover-up. And so Pastor Bill and I said, you know, we need to continue to say, if any of us or anything would happen at our church or our staff or Pastor Bill or myself or anybody— that people should report it to the authorities, first of all, not try to deal with it in-house. And because once you start to try to deal with it in-house, then we start to make excuses. Then we start to uh, justify different things. So that seems to be where they went wrong. And and it's it's leading to a lot of people to, to wonder. Now, there's been some heroes in this story. Um, the heroes are the survivors who continue to make outcries. Um, Another hero uh, has been Rachel um, De Hollander. She she was she's been one that that's been really vocal on this. Unfortunately, some of the leadership in the Southern Baptist Convention uh, they said this one guy uh, August Bodo. He's an interim president of the executive committee. He says that what these outcries are doing is a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism. Uh, so again, there was a lot of cover up. So. I don't know how you guys um, 
process this, but what do you think this does to the Christian witness, and what can do you think this will affect how how you talk about your faith? Do you think anyone that you know is being affected by this, or or um or what do you think? How do you respond? I just think it's depressing. Yeah, I think it's just ammo that people will kind of sling back at you, like non-Christian people. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Or or Christian people, I guess too. I mean, yeah. People struggling with their faith and. Yeah, I think what I what I hope that we can continue to do is help victims be heard, um, help them process, help them get healing, help them get uh, justice, and I think that will be the the. Also, it, it clarifies for me what the church's job is: is not to convert people to the institution. I think in our church body, we. Sp- I don't know if you've ever heard this. Have you ever heard this saying, we have the gospel in truth and purity? Yes, I have heard that. Okay. I think we have to be very careful when we kind of prop up any institution as this has got it. This institution has it all together. Whether it's a political institution or a a religious institution, because you're just setting up for failure because we're going to find, you know, humans fail. And so every institution will fail at some time. So, Hopefully the institution serves the mission well, uh, but but we want to convert people to Jesus uh, and to be a Christian, not necessarily a follower of a person, uh, you know, just a regular human being or a or an institution because they're they'll probably let you down. So that's something I'm thinking about when I'm processing this. Yeah. Anything else? Well, I don't know. I guess I think that's why sometimes it's hard to participate in voting. Sometimes, you know, like, I think, you know, we, we should, and we're responsible again. I think it's something that God has ordained that we, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, it's hard when you yeah. have to, when you have, you know, choices that, you right. know, are not great right. right? and you still have to kind of, you, you should participate, but mm-hmm. you're like, uh, right. <laughs> neither one of these is overly great. And right. so, yeah, I don't know. And it's just so hard because institutions are so helpful. I mean, it, what you can do by yourself is very minimal. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do? You gather with a group of people and you, you have a team. And as that team gets better, it's more complex. And so you create an institution. And so in many ways, institution's a great thing because it's not longer about one charismatic leader, but it's about the school or the church or the business that's bigger than one personality. And that's mm-hmm. great. But when it gets so big... All of a sudden, now all the investors or the stakeholders now want to protect the institution, right? And and so, it's a trade-off because yeah, you can serve more people, you can have more services, you can have more programs, you can have more financing, you can support this thing, and yet things just get to such a large scale that when somebody makes an outcry, uh, there is a tendency over and over again inside and outside the church to shut up the victim and 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 protect the institution and we we make all these you know this would cause so much harm or this would hurt the reputation or this would blah blah uh but we forget about the victim so i think that's i don't know the answer because we we can't just do everything we're doing just as individuals we need groups we need institutions we need organizations uh, but we have to constantly check them. Yes, and Checking have in. have have people that are are continuing to hold up these values that we will always listen to the victim, 
We will always be on their side. We are going to, the bigger we get, the more checks and balances there has to be. And we're not going to go into any of these things blindly thinking it couldn't happen to us. Right. Oh, that was just the Catholic Church. So that the Catholic Church has all this corruption. It, it wouldn't happen to the Protestant Church. Well, look at now, the largest Protestant Church denomination in the country. And it's happening in our denomination. You know, these, all these things are happening everywhere. So how do we continue to just uh, face these things over and over again? And so my, I'm assuming many people are listening to this are also, if you're not a, a survivor, someone in your family is. And so I want to keep speaking up for you and uh, want you to, to get the help that you, you can. Um, freedomforthecaptives.com is one website that you can go in our church body that, that has resources and things like that. But, but I think anything we can do to keep encouraging uh, people and, and, and then let Victory, our church, be a place where we have that culture that when or if an outcry happens uh, inside or outside our church, that we go first to the authorities and follow our, our child protection policies. Yeah. So what's happening to the church as a result of this? Well, I think it's a big enough problem that now they have a convention in Anaheim, I think, next month, which everything I've read said they're not going to be able to do anything to totally change the, the policies by then. But there's going to have to be a cleaning house. Um, there is going to hopefully a more policies, uh, child protection policies, and also are, are going to be put in place. I think the hard part with a church body like this is they're also independent churches in this network of churches, mm-hmm. and so they don't have much hierarchy to o- and oversight. So I think that's something that they're going to have to look at. But it's a it's a crisis. And so some there's some leaders who are saying, hey, is it bad fruit or is it the bad tree? Is it is it a, is, 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 is it is it a few bad apples or is it a bad tree that this this is not working anymore. The culture has fostered or allowed it to kind of happen. Right. And so some people are pointing to the fact where you have another kind of male-dominant culture and all these abuse cases are, unfortunately, uh, you know, males who are are involved. And so are we not giving enough voice to, to females who could speak into this? You know, so there's all different things that people are talking about. Um, but at the end of the day, again, it's one of those cases where you say, God help us. Yeah. So they're they're essentially like a synod in the same way we are. Yeah, but they're they, a church body. But yep. they don't right, they don't have they're almost like uh for lack of a like franchised, right? Like in other words, like they don't have like a Correct. They're independent a board or so mm. or like a main, you know, so they're independently So you could operating. so that I think that's how they're very structured also hurt this because you know, somebody if he didn't report at this first church and, oh, he was a problem, jumps to another church and start re-victimizing people, you don't have that oversight to That's say central, yeah. this person mm-hmm. is fired and no longer to be called in this ministry or to be called by anybody else. Um, and isn't that for their doctrine too or no? Or are they all like doctrinally this, you know, pretty similar? Yeah, no, or? I think you have to follow some kind of doctrinal okay. statements to be a part of the network okay. uh, of you know, Southern Baptist teaching, but, um, yeah, there, so there, this is a, this is a, I bring it up, uh, just because I, I know there's a lot of really strong Christians who came to faith in this church through the, through church and through good preaching and, and things like that. And it, um, it's going to take a while for them to process. Do I stay in this church? Do I also, uh, 
I just pray that people say, be able to differentiate between some money hungry or, or, le- or power hungry leaders who are unwilling to listen to the outcry of victims. And that's not Jesus. And Jesus uh, went against the establishment, went against the institutions when they were broken. He overturned the tables in the temple because the religious leaders at that time were using it to fill up their pockets. Um, and so we follow a Savior who, when institutions get out of hand, he also confronts as well. And that's that's not the same thing. So praying for all the people who are affected by this and uh, who, who this kind of event, you know, triggers, uh, hey, this happened to me too, maybe in this t- church body or a different one. So that's all I have to say about that. Uh, but uh, but it, it's something that we as a church body, if your church doesn't have a child protection policy, get one. Uh, if, your ch- if, your, if your congregation is not talking about it, uh, you got to start talking about it. Um, if, your, if your church doesn't um, have some of these, these things in place, you need to have them in place. And if you can't, and if you made an outcry and you were not heard, uh, you got to go to the authorities. You got to go to the authorities. So, all right, Matt, you want to keep on our our, de- our depressing. Um, we got plenty of time. Okay. <laughs> plenty uh, of time. Do you want to go on to the next topic? Sure. Okay. Um, so, uh, in the interest of research, I once again, I once again plunged into the depths of the internet. Oh man. To find. Uh, to keep a finger on the pulse, you know. Yeah. Right, right. This is how I. This is the only human interaction I get. Robot. Week. I'm just gonna call you robot every single podcast. Robot. Uh, so I, I, I actually saved some of these. I've been kind of saving them for the past week or two. When I find, when I come across one, um, all kinds of posts that people make, and, and they're kind of supposed to be jokes. But um, here's one that says. Do people still actually eat three meals a day, or do we all just survive off of stress and iced coffee? Okay. Do you ever get overwhelmed by how our real world is a genuine dystopian nightmare, but everyone just keeps acting like it's normal? I don't think that's a joke. I think that's... Here's someone that says, hear me out, life, but like easier and more fun. I don't know if I understand that. It's like, here's an idea. Here's an idea, oh, life, oh, but hear, yeah. hear me out, here's an idea. Yeah. Um, I didn't put these in a folder because I'm stupid. So I'm just scrolling. <laughs> you get, you kind of get the idea, right? It's, it's just sort of like making jokes about how terrible life is. Yeah, here's someone who says, "Okay, it's time for a reality check," and then checks reality. Uh, holy crap! <laughs> Would not recommend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, not wearing glasses anymore. I've seen enough. Okay. Um. Mm-hmm. Here's yeah. a. Here's one. It's it's a. It doesn't work if you can't see it, but the format is um, they don't know that I have no plans or hope in my future. Um, it's the one with the guy at the party. I don't know if you know that one. See. This guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, yeah, again, it's, it's probably makes more sense. You can see it. But but the, the point is, there's 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 these things all all over the place. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe I'm just noticing them now more. Mm-hmm. But um, my thought on this is that you you. You can't help what you laugh at, right? Like your mm-hmm. laughter is involuntary. Yeah. And so if there's a brand of humor that's working, yeah. it's because a lot of people are agreeing with you. Yeah. They're all relating to you. I see. It's a funny way of speaking the truth. Yes. Yeah. And it seems to be a shared yeah. 
sentiment yeah people are and, laughing at it and there's more sharing and there's more of these things and and these are ones that are kind of meant to be funny yeah but i mean if you ever go on to pages like anti-capitalist pages or anti-money pages anti this or that people are angry yeah. people are angry about this stuff and there is an overwhelming sense of like um like like arguments like civil responsibility mm-hmm. doesn't work anymore. Like there's yeah. no like, oh, I should do the right thing. Like, why? Why should I do the right thing? Sure. Why should I report things to the cops? Yeah. Why should I pay my rent? My landlord doesn't care about me. The government doesn't care about me. All that right. kind of stuff. There's no sense of that anymore. So I have some thoughts, but what are your thoughts? My My... Well, I I think I know where it's coming from. Um, It's not that... I don't think it's that people are getting any worse. So maybe I don't know where it's coming from. Because I don't think that life is getting any harder. Mm. I don't think people are getting any worse. Maybe it's that we can see it more. My personal personal theory is that um, people, people have no sense of purpose. That's and that's and that's all there is to it. I mean, you really like they 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 will project these things onto whatever issue is at stake. But it's really like, oh, you really think that if your job paid you twice as much, you'd be happy? Well, right. I've had that argument with people. Uh Yeah, right. You really think that maybe let's say your work culture changed. Let's say you you, let's say that you wherever you work, let's say your boss loved and respected you. That when you were sick, you got time off free of charge. You got paid extra and you got bonuses and all this. Would that make you like what you do? Would that give you a sense of purpose? I don't think so. I think you'd become I think you'd become sort of a fat and weak and it just sort of on the person, I think. vegetating. I think there was a really good article. Uh, it was in the Atlantic uh, by D- Derek Thompson, uh, Why American Teens Are So Sad. And he's got the graphs on here on how sadness and hopelessness have gone up. And he's got some really good points on the rise in social media use and how the constant comparison. And then he goes on to sociality is down. You're not socializing like you did before. You don't have this, this community of people that, that support you and, and do just, uh, the world is stressful and we hear more news about it. And they talk about parenting, you know, the kind of the helicopter parent. Ooh. But then he comes down, which on this thing, and I thought was so interesting. He said... Outwardly, teens are growing up slower, so it's taking them longer to time spent with friends, driving, dating, working summer jobs are all in decline. So it takes people are taking a lot longer to take on some of these roles and responsibilities, and maybe that's helicopter parenting that's shielding them from any any problems. And then on the same time, the internet exposes teenagers not only uh, or to unsupportive people, uh, but also bullies and threats and despairing conversations. So um, it's a double whammy. On one hand, you have no responsibility or a feeling that I can actually accomplish something because you've never tried. So you don't know what it's like to keep a job. You don't know what it's like to you know push through some hard things. So you don't have any resiliency. And at the same time, you can watch a video of George Floyd getting kneeled on. Right. And you can see this horrific thing and you don't know how to process it. 
So I think that I thought that was an interesting thing. And then and so you don't have a sense of like you said purpose. Like, well, what am I going to do with that? I can't do anything. I have no I have no self confidence that I can actually overcome anything hard. And yet the world is really hard out there. Um, so I think what we have to do is switch that. Let's be exposed to less things if that's possible, or at least hopefully our parent, this would be thought of, I thought about this as a parent, like, all right, I don't know if I can keep my kids from seeing as much stuff. They're going to have their phones they're going to see things, but hopefully I can help them process it. And then how can I show them some personal responsibility that life isn't meaningless that, yeah, they might not be able to change the world, but they can make their bed. And yeah, they might even be able to change the world, um, but they can have a job and help some people in their neighborhood and and walk the neighbor's dog and clean the dishes. And they, they can do some things. And how you respond to the things that you can do uh, gives us a sense of meaning and purpose. So I think that's, the, I thought the, the article by Derek Thompson really pointed out why it is, why it's such a problem. Would you agree with that or what you guys think? Well, I think, yeah, I was kind of thinking along the lines that you are, and maybe I'm just projecting my own feelings because, um, you know, I I feel like when when I was growing up, you know, kids and and students were on fire. They wanted to be social workers. They wanted to be teachers because they were like, we can make a difference. You know, they're on fire for this. And now I, I, and again, I might just completely be projecting. I feel like things are so overwhelmingly bad Sure. or, you know, that it's like, no matter what I do, you know, I'm going to be thwarted. I'm not going to be able to get anything done. I'm not going to be able to accomplish anything. And so I think, you know, maybe the resolution to that would be, you know, focus. And we've talked about it before, kind of on what you can control, you know, walking the neighbor's dog, doing your dishes, making your bed, taking care of yourself and the tight circle that you have around you. And if everybody did that, then, you yeah. know, maybe things would and, get better. And the attitude is a lot different now. Um, now people are like, oh, once I graduate from high school, hopefully I can go to college, but then I have to get a job. Have to get a job to support myself because now I'm officially growing up, you know. Well, and yeah, so it people... sucks. Growing up sucks. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, I didn't want to do it either. It just, but people, you know, and then college, there's a whole other discussion about college well, what's the alternative? Not getting a job and then, then right. What? But you don't. The fact is, you don't want to get a job, and a job is something you get because you have to get one. So because you have you to, have you don't nothing, want to. You right? I mean, do you have a passion? Do you have something you actually want to do? No, you get a job because you have to, and that's why you hate it. Is is that the reason, or is it? Well, I, I think one of the things is we don't always see what our so many of our jobs are digital, and so you don't always see like if you're. I think that's why the trades are so great. Like at the end of the day, I built this, I fixed that. It's tangible. It's tangible. So I think that an actual sense of accomplishment, I do feel like helping, you know, kind of, it was so surprising to me. And I saw this about 10 years ago when I started seeing is that I just noticed kids were not at all interested in getting their driver's license. And I thought, wow, like I had it marked down Mm -hmm. what, what I needed to do to get ready so that when I turned 16, that first day, I could be on the road and freedom. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like, I, I don't know if it's the chicken or the egg, if it's the parents or the kids or society or whatever, but whatever we can do to to have these this sense like, you can do it. You, you can get a license. You can be in a relationship. You can go socialize. You can do hard things. 
and and you realize and and so you build up a little bit of of confidence and autonomy because that's how God created us to be. He created us first pages of the Bible, it says you were made in God's image to rule over the world, to be co-rulers with God, that he could do everything on his own, but he's decided to to let let us be the gardeners of this world, to let us be the, you know, to, to keep this world going. He wants us to be involved, and it gives us a sense of purpose. So I, I think as much as we can to, to, to be able to see where people's talents are and foster them and encourage them to fail and do hard things, it's okay to fail. We don't have to stop people from failing. It's all right if you failed. Keep going. I think the the biggest component, especially the article that you shared with us about uh, the mental health in teens, mm-hmm. um, what what I've noticed and and I think what the article said too um, was that loneliness is the is oh, yeah. one of the biggest factors. Yeah. I think that I think that underscores everything. I think you're right um, because people people if you don't have to build relationships with people and you never have to make yourself vulnerable to other people that's then you never have to grow mm-hmm. and instead you don't you don't walk into situations thinking like oh would i like to be friends with this person mm-hmm. you're thinking in the back of your mind what if they don't like me mm-hmm. do they like me i don't think they like me mm-hmm. i have to do things to project health success mm-hmm. being funny being adept at things whatever and i think that helps that that um contributes to that fear of failure yeah so how do you build relationships in force, the world force yourself to talk to people okay there you force go. your children to talk. well to yeah i think some people are more self-aware than others <laughs> you know and so mm-hmm. um some people recognize that they, they need to just kind of force themselves to do things yeah. but some people don't yeah well I, I think as like i think it starts i think it just starts as kids you know and like what we've been talking about being on the internet all the time like you force your kids to have some sleepovers or yeah i don't know i don't get the that in that article too is like well we were worried about her safety so we gave her a phone at age 10 like what do you you know i i bought a phone when i was 18 i think that was the first one I owned. And I guess I'm, I think I'm Gen Z technically, but I don't feel like I relate to a lot of people that are even like five years younger than me. I feel like they grew up in a very different circumstances. You're an odd duck too, so that... Uh, <laughs> it's possible. Old soul. He's an, <laughs> an old soul. It's possible. I, I, I think we you kind of make fun of Amish people, right? You ever see, you're like, oh, those Amish communities. But it's interesting what they... They don't reject all technology, but they reject the technology that keeps them from having relationships. So they didn't really buy into the car because the car was able for you to drive far away so that you couldn't be close to family. And so as all these things that we're saying, we're, we're going to be careful how much we let in because we want because because our highest value is family. Our highest value is community. And so I think that's been the trade-off is that we were told that social media was going to bring us closer together, but it's actually made us far apart. These technology, we're going to, br- I might be able to have a conversation with somebody overseas, which is great, but it also keeps me from having a relationship with my neighbor and talking to them. And, uh, and that's actually what we, we actually need. So I wonder if there's structural things that in the church or in our communities that we can set up 
Um, that's why I love being a part of that cult uh, CrossFit, you know, <laughs> that, that, that forces community. I, yeah. I hated going to the gym because like everybody was putting their earbuds on. No one talked to each other. And it was kind of like, hey, leave me alone. Uh, but this year, you're, you're, so we have to, I think we do have to find ways to build relationships. I think you're absolutely right. How many of the, and, and back to our original conversation about the shooter, in all these cases, it's the loner mm-hmm. who, who you get mm-hmm. inside your own head and you get mad at everybody else. And man, you just need some friends. So as much as you want gun control, which is great, I want community yeah and i want that too how much what can we do and i think this has gotten emily and i to we are maybe more protective about sleepovers things like like we've been just more like let's just get these kids together whatever we can do Mm -hmm. get them together well and the pandemic certainly did not help that that was not good you know it took everything to a whole new level right so that i think exacerbated i just think yeah i just think being forced to be around people both those that you like and those that you don't like you know <laughs> i do think that's the cool thing about a church is if you come to church you are forced to be around people you like and don't like right mm-hmm. you know you can choose all these other groups even our small groups are more based around friendships or people you know or these different programs you you have but i think the church is one of the last places where you are forced to be around people that are like you or different than you because you have a higher goal of worshiping your god and so I just want to make one more, whether anyone will listen to me or not, if you can come in person to worship, I think it's worth it for just even that, to see people. And I, and I really am so thankful for the first pastor, who, the founding pastor of our church, who set up the Victory Cafe, because it gives you something to do where you eat together, whether that necessarily means deep relationships before or after church, it still is an opportunity to be around people uh, that you can be honest with and and can encourage you. So yeah, I, I think in person worship is just really important. I think it's one of the last places you can build some of that. I think I think the workplace is like that too. If yep. you're if you're working in person, I mean think about one of the things I love about the office is like the it's the a TV mo- show. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. I mean I love everybody here okay, yes, in, right. in our office. But <laughs> yeah. um in, in the TV show The Office, you have this kind of motley crew of people that you yeah probably would not have come together on their own yep. except that now they have kind of this common yep. you know c- circumstance and um you know they're all different demographics and stuff and yeah. so they kind of uh you know interact and and whatnot but that's one thing that i that i appreciate about that show in the workplace is that common ground it's interesting when you think about sitcoms because it shows where our communities have changed 20, 30 years ago, it was Roseanne or, or, Oof. you know, these families, right. Where whatever family matters, uh, mm-hmm. all these things, step full by house, step, full yeah. house. It was all about your community was your family. And then friends came along and your communities, the friends you hang out with in the same neighborhood. Seinfeld is along that too. Sa- Seinfeld mm-hmm. is friends. Right. Mm-hmm. And then more recently it's yeah. Parks and rec, mm-hmm. uh, the office that the, the community now, the family's broken down. Uh, we don't really have a sense of friendship outside, and the work is now at the new place to find community. So yeah, and they're not always very good friends at work. No, they're just weirdos. Right, yeah. but they're right. funny. But they're funny. <laughs> it's a great show. It is a great show. Yeah, it, for me, I lament a little bit that it, it's too bad it's not the family or the commu- group of friends. You have, I, and I think that's really great. You both, and I, I think I do too, have really strong 
friend groups mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that you've had for a long time. We've moved around so much, so we don't have necessarily a lot of mine are ministry friends. Um, that's kind of a lost thing. You know, there's not a lot of people. I'm very thankful for, I have a very large, strong family network here in Milwaukee that's been really helpful. But I do lament that people do have to go to work to find any kind of community that they don't have any, they don't have the family or the friend group outside of it. And I think we need to keep working on that. See, so you have to get a job so that you make friends. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Tell those despondent people. Yeah, right. You got to make money and friends <laughs> at your job. All right. Here, here's one more question. Have you ever talked to somebody that you felt was hopeless? Because I'm mean, like really, All the yeah. really time. hopeless. Yeah. And when, what are they like and what, what do you do to help them or how do you talk to them? I'm preaching on that this weekend. So I'm thinking about that a lot. So I'm go back to that my favorite book on this, and that's Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. He would now he was a trained psychologist, so I don't know if this always works, but he says we are meaning-driven people, purpose-driven people. We're not you could give somebody all the pleasure in the world, give that person all the money. Here's all the sex, here's all the food, here's all that, and that's not necessarily going to make them feel any better. And so he would ask, which you have to be careful, but he'd say, So why don't you commit suicide? Mm. And they said, well, uh, uh, you know, I have this, I don't know what to do with my family. Okay, so you like your family. Build on that. So whatever the question, whatever, however you would answer that question, while you're, why are you not committing suicide right now, then let's drill down on that. Let's, let's, oh, because I don't want to let my family in. Okay, let's talk to your family. Let's, let's find a way for you to find purpose again. And when a person regains a sense of purpose, regains a sense of meaning. Now, also, somebody who's really hopeless, what's what's interesting about the story of Elijah, this is 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah's totally hopeless. He says, I want to die, God. I'm no better than anybody else. Nothing I do matters. The first thing he does is give him a meal, some sleep, and some exercise. And so you might, that might be a good place to start with somebody who's very despondent, like, hey, Let's go fishing, just to normal. Yes, because you do. You it's know, good for the soul. That's right. You know, find some way to get them stabilized. If somebody's really neurotic or really despondent, or find a way to stabilize and normalize. Give them a good meal, some good rest, some movement, and then let's talk about your life. Actually, does have meaning. You actually do have things to offer. We 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 want you here. Let's talk about ways that you can. Uh, and it's he, Victor Frankel. I, I just think reading that book is incredible because he helped people who were in the Nazi concentration camps find meaning again. Um, he helped them find meaning in their suffering, and he helped f- switch the conversation. Instead of saying, "There's no meaning in my life. I can't find meaning," well, maybe the question needs to be flipped around. What is life asking of you, or what we'd say, what is God asking of you? Maybe. Maybe you don't need to sit and ask, well, what is life going to do for me? Kind of, you know, like JFK's question, not what can mm-hmm. you do for your country, mm-hmm. but what, or what can country do for you, but what can you do for your country? Why don't you create some meaning? Why don't you create something? Why don't you make something of this world? Maybe the world needs something from you instead of you asking the world to give you something. So I, I think all those things. Um, but I mean, if they're going to harm themselves, you got to stabilize them, maybe check them into somewhere. Um but it's 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 a crisis of meaning. That's what they're they're really lacking. 
if, if you're if there is somebody, I mean, I'd be happy either myself to talk to them or get them help. Uh, Christian Family Solutions uh, counseling, um, but th- that's what we all need—a sense of community and a sense of meaning. Does that help? I thought that is all good stuff. Yes. Okay. <laughs> is this for yourself? No, okay, it's not. Right. I just, just make sure. I'm trying to make this applicable. Okay. So we're not just blabbering. That's good. That's good. (laughs) I think that's all the time we have for for today. Keep reading your Bible. Find hope there. Jesus is still alive. He's still risen. There is still hope. He's coming back again, and he can make sense of all this uh, really hard stuff. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.